What's up, fine folks? Welcome back. This is episode 22. I don't know about you, but we're doing a podcast. We're small enough that this doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to sing it long this enough. This is episode 22 of Double Tapped. I am Jay. I'm Tanner. Tanner, today I've got for us from Highwire Brewing. Ooh. A pink lemonade session sour ale. Oh, here you are. Thank you. Now, I wanted to sort of the talk can about something. for the video. Yeah, it's lovely. It, you would see this can and think, "Oh, there's just pink lemonade in there." Yes, that's true. Now, not that we've received any comments or criticism <laughs> about our beer selection whatsoever. <laughs> okay, but I just wanted to have a brief discussion. Yeah, because in the last mm. six months or so, well, yeah, I should probably taste this first. Yeah, it's pretty good. I enjoy it. I like that. Nothing wrong with that at all. But it's very summery, very bright, light, little tart. Yeah. Which is what I like. Yes. And thus is the crux of what I want to lead off with today. Okay. <clears throat> because another liquid that I've <laughs> <laughs> developed a taste for in the last six months uh-huh. is coffee. Okay. To a certain extent. Now, people out there are going to say, oh, what kind of coffee are you drinking? You know, it's like... Oh, is it Arabica beans? Is it from Brazil? I don't know. <laughs> I want coffee with milk and sugar and either vanilla or caramel in it. Right. I like it a little sweet. Yeah. I like it the way I like it. We're not on here pounding IPAs every week. That's true. Because that's just not what I get when I go to the store to buy beer for myself for pleasure. Yeah. Now, will I have an IPA every once in a while? Oh, sure. You got to you gotta scratch the Would edge. I rather have an IPA than a black coffee? Probably. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I would agree with that. I just wanted to put that out there. I don't yeah. know what you think about we that. We lean pretty citrusy. We also, lean pretty bright. There is a fly in here. It would be very impressive over the course of this podcast. <laughs> oh, did you get it? Nope. No. Oh, did I get it? Nope. No. All right. Well, this is going to be. <laughs> it's going to be an ongoing challenge. This There's a meta game to this podcast episode. now. Exactly. <laughs> <clears throat> Anyway, yes. Tanner, what have you been playing? Uh, nothing. Good. <laughs> Not good, but... No, I've been playing uh, a little bit more God of War. Uh, oh, nothing man. new, I should say. I've been thinking about God of War. It's so good, dude. I've just been thinking about it. Been yeah. watching cutscenes on YouTube for no reason. Hell yeah. It's so good. Uh, yeah, I've been playing a little bit of that, a little tiny bit of 2K, uh, but other than that, have just been very busy this week, so not a lot of gaming for me outside of what we talked about last week. Yeah, nor I, but... I have done several shallow dives. Okay. Uh, I'll say. Uh, I played a little bit more of Ghost of Tsushima. That's the only thing that I've played for any extended period of time. Right. Uh, as good as ever. You know, rock solid. Combat's fun. Uh, but, as we have sort of alluded to recently, with a yeah. couple of games that have gotten PS5 updates, mm-hmm. I wanted to see for myself how Horizon... And The Last of Us Part Two performed uh, on PS5. So yeah. just this morning, I already had Horizon downloaded it, where I had tried to play it recently, and I was like, I'll wait for this patch. Right. So jump back into that, and vast improvement. It really, really is. Like, oh, I'm, wow. I was surprised at just how turned off I was at the last time I tried to play it. Mm-hmm. And not, you know... I don't, it makes me feel like a bit of a snob to be like, ooh, 30 frames per second feels so <laughs> janky clunky now. That's the way but it, it is But it kind of does. Like, once you get adjusted to a higher frame rate, yeah. it is hard to go back. And it smoothed it out tremendously. I just played, like, one mission uh, for, like, 30 minutes to an hour. Yeah. Had a big combat encounter. And I was like, this is so much better. Mm. Um, to be determined if I'll go ahead and continue to replay the whole game. Sure. I will probably do so at some point before Forbidden West comes out. Right. Now, The Last of Us, mm. 
Oh, really? And we knew, like, yeah, you knew playing that game to begin with because it was already beautiful. Yeah, and the way they're like something about the film grain on The Last of Us mm-hmm. fit. 30 frames a little better like it seems more like you know the western style sure. sort of nature of the game sort of it didn't take me out of it as much the first time right but the update to 60 frames is like oh this game is prettier than every game now on ps5 wow. like it just is wow or it's right there at the top of the conversation still yeah. for a game that was developed for the ps4 it is immensely impressive that's exciting because i uh you know after i play god of war i think i finally want to do a stream playthrough of one and of two yeah um, because I never, I never streamed to. I just recorded my playthrough to avoid spoilers because they were rampant. And I've been thinking about. I bet it does look better on PS5, but I didn't know it was going to look that much better. So that's. And I mean, it's not like it looks immensely better, but just think about the jump for anything sure, from 30, 30 to, 60, to 60. Yeah. And this is not really spoilers, because but if you play the intro to The Last of Us Two, yeah, the intro is maybe the prettiest part of the game. Oh, for sure. And so once you jump in there and it's so smooth and the lighting is just ridiculously mm. impressive, yeah, it sort of stuns me. And like the facial animations, especially on Ellie and Joel, uh, some of the other side characters, I'm like they're good, but on Ellie especially, what I was picking up on, like she just looks like a real person. Mm. I was like, it's so impressive. We're getting there. So impressive. But that's all I've been playing. Good job, Naughty Dog. Amazing job, as and, usual. Uh, and Gorilla. So let's pivot to the news. Okay. Where we lead off with Naughty Dog news. No. Because Last of Us, well, last week was yes. the Last of Us Day. Right. Uh, we recorded our last podcast the day before the Last of Us Day. Yes. I'm going to say the last a lot. <laughs> but Outbreak Day, as they refer to it sometimes. Oh, that's true. So. If that makes it easier. <laughs> on Outbreak Day. Yeah. They teased that they were going to announce some new content. And for all intents and purposes, the new content was simply a note from the Mm. developers basically saying, we hear you, we are working on multiplayer, we will let you know something when we are ready to. Right. And fine. Yeah, that's all I needed. And I like, we know they're doing it. Yeah, we've known for a while now, but it's, it's nice to have that official confirmation of like, you know, we know that you know, <laughs> and we're just saying yes, and yeah, that's it. Exactly. I mean, would this be any different, really, than if they had just dropped some 30-second trailer that just had the title and that's it? Not really. Mm-hmm. So, like, just the confirmation that it exists is exciting. Now, do you want to hear my theory? Yeah. And it's not a theory in terms of what they're going to do within the multiplayer mode itself, but I have a feeling they might do a war zone situation where they make factions its own you know, app oh, on sure. the PlayStation. Yeah, standalone thing. And they connect The Last of Us 2 to factions and then connect on the other end to The Last of Us 1 remastered whenever oh. that comes out for PS5. We have no right. We have no real indication of when that game is coming. Yeah. But I have a feeling that factions will be accessible from the remake and from The Last of Us 2. That makes sense. And you could even, you know, I'm assuming they're going to work on maps that are more from 2 right yeah. now. But once remastered drops, they bring back some of the old school. Exactly. Ones. And that's what I'm wondering if part of me thinks they're just not going to include the original multiplayer in one. Mm. And then they'll just create this new factions, which might have some of the same maps. Sure. And that sort of thing and just create their whole new just factions ongoing platform. Yeah. Because I do think that once this comes around, factions is going to be its own ongoing thing for a while. I Yeah, uh, I agree. Like whatever. If there is a Last of Us 3, which we've talked about, there is, you know. 
very tentative plans right. that are not currently in development. But yeah, it'll be a while if we get yeah, through. It's a years long project. I think the you know environment that factions will become and the metagame of factions mm. fits that so well. It does that ongoing platform style. Yeah, Ugh. it could be. You know, it's funny because like the metagame side of like Fortnite and you know all those things is unlocking cosmetics. Whereas this metagame is a little bit more about actual an actual game. Yeah. And so this might actually fit the, you know, you can play it at any time, you know, Rocket League, Fortnite type model even better because you have actual goals you're you're going toward as opposed to just, oh, I'm gonna lock this shirt. Yeah. Um I am I also think that the idea that it just continues on is going to be very important for when the show drops. Sure. Because I don't think Last of Us 3 is going to be out by the time the show no, comes no, around. And if not, they're going to want something to promote in the crossover. Mm-hmm. You know, on HBO and their little like teaser stingers at the beginning and ending of every episode, they can say like, and play, you know, uh, this new character in Last of Us Factions or whatever. And then Ooh. on the flip side, you know, Factions can uh, promote the show as well. Be like, you know, if you watch this, look out for this code. Then yeah. you can, you know, type it in and you can unlock this character. Whatever. There's, They're going to want that sort of cross-integration, especially since this is Sony's real first foray into TV. And I think this is probably the only platform that could exist alongside it at the time it comes out. Yeah. It's funny to me. I almost just keep forgetting that the show even exists. Uh, even me though too. we just saw the first official uh, image Still, from the show yeah. of Joel and Ellie basically... Overlooking a field with a crashed airplane. Very smart to show their backs. Yeah, of course. To uh, to suspend our, our disbelief a little bit. And, and Which from the back, Pedro Pascal looks a lot like Joel. He does. Yeah, the girl doesn't look as She's much just like a Ellie. Big, girl, yeah, older. Yeah, but I'm ex- I'm tentatively excited for the yeah, show. Me too. That's gonna be my my line until it happens. Definitely. Next story. I don't know if you heard this. Oh, yeah, I did, because I sent it in our group chat. Okay. GTA, the remastered trilogy, is apparently... Yeah. Coming out next month. Which is ridiculous to think about. It's insane. In November. Now, that does make me wonder, is this is going to be more of just sort of like an HD re-release situation mm. with minor, you know, remastering elements? Yeah. But either way, I'm still pretty excited about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I mean, we've talked about the GTA sort of remasters already, but like the fact that it's this soon... It seems like this holiday might be a little gappy sure. for some things because so many things got delayed. Uh, so this might be a great thing. I mean, it's three full games to fill that gap. In which I say this, GTA Five has been out since 2013. It's, That's true. They've had they time. might have just kept this under wraps <laughs> yeah. for longer than we give them credit for. Yeah, for real. Uh, yeah, super excited still. Uh, I don't know that I have much more to add other than, wow, this is a lot sooner than I thought. Yeah, me too. And again, it leans toward that model of release that you and I both love of... We don't find out about it until it's almost out. Yeah. And you gotta, that's great. It doesn't take long for hype to build. No, not and at all. And there is a diminishing returns of once you've let it simmer for too long, it falls off. Yeah. Cough, cough, death loop, cough. <laughs> yeah. So, very excited about GTA, for sure. For sure. More on the remastering front. Okay. So, this story, I think, basically leaked or, you know, rumors have been swirling in the last couple of days. Right. Rumor has it that Virtuous who is the studio behind Dark Souls Remastered and the Bioshock Collection. Okay. Is remaking Metal Gear Solid 3. Whoa, whoa, okay. 3, not 1. All right. As people have been want for a while. Yeah. It's not the use of that phrase, but... No, that's that's right. Really? Yeah. Cool. I Forget that I said that. I think you can use it like that. That's weird. It is strange. Why 3? 
as someone who's about as disconnected from the Same Metal Gear Solid, I played uh, five very briefly. Yeah, I played that's five a, for maybe three hours. That's it. Three, four hours. Um, a little bit longer than that. But. Yeah, I think it's curious that they're going with three. I think that either one or four yeah. would have been more obvious options just based on the, to me, public perception of these games. Yeah. Uh, four being like the most like cinematic, long cutscene kind, and then one just being freaking Metal Gear Solid. Right, like it's the, most the start of the franchise. Classic one. Yeah. But it's not all there is to this rumor. Basically, okay. Konami is just back. Okay. Apparently. Because the rest of the rumor, first off, they are rumored to be doing HD re-releases of other Metal Gear games, which could include one, two, like other ones. Okay, so that's how people are going to be able to play those. Right. But a couple of other franchises are apparently on their way back. Notably, Silent Hill, which we've, you know, it's been brewing for a long time. Some people I'm sure are excited about that. People and love that franchise. Apparently, another mainline entry into the Castlevania series oh. is due for a return. Huh. Interesting. I wonder what that's gonna look like. I wonder if it's gonna be, you know, 3D Castlevania or if it's just gonna be, you know, sort of a side scrolling throwback type yeah. thing. The only two styles that I think fit Castlevania well are obviously the Metroidvania sure, style. Yeah. But I do think a Dark Soulsy yes, style. That's the only other way you could go. Kind of slap oh, with yeah. Castlevania skin, you know. I on mean, it. yeah. If we see like vampires and this weird like macabre gothic setting, and then the Castlevania logo comes up, I'll be excited. You could probably just ape some stills from Bloodborne <laughs> yeah. and make a teaser trailer, and then put the Castlevania logo over it, and we'd be like, oh hell yeah, yeah, we're in. Yeah. So Konami, and apparently a lot of this is being done with the blessing of Kojima, namely you know the Metal Gear re-releases. And sure. All the hands, you know, in the making of those games. Yeah. Uh, but Konami, a lot of valuable IP. I'm glad to see it being put to some half decent use. Me seemingly. too. Me too. Because Konami was doing. There was a little stretch there where they did nothing. They were dead. They made uh, that Metal Gear Survive, Survive game that was terrible which was by like all the accounts. Stupidest idea for a game. Just trying to keep that IP alive. Uh, they were making pachinko games yeah. this, with all of their IP, but not actual video games. Um, yeah, so it's good to see. Maybe they've had a change of uh, change of the guard over there. Maybe you know someone new is in charge, or they've finally kind of woken up and seen the oh crap, we're not making money. <laughs> what IP do we have that makes money? I'm ex- I'm glad that Kojima gives it a blessing. I'm sure he's just kind of like whatever. I get to do whatever I want. Yeah, go yeah, ahead. Really. Uh, like this will make me a ton of money because I still get all the rights from it. You know, or I'm sure he gets a percentage. Yeah. Whatever it may be. Uh, so he's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. I don't care. Like I'm gonna go make Poop Simulator two yeah. or whatever. Like, well, that's the thing. No guarantee that whatever Kojima makes on his own is gonna be good. Sure, but it's gonna be. It'll be interesting. It's gonna be Kojima. Yeah, exactly. Through and through. And I mean, neither of us have played Death Stranding. No, I'm I'm very curious about that game still. But yeah, good for good for everyone involved. Glad that they're sort of mending fences a little bit yeah. because it was kind of one of the most like uh, contentious breakups in gaming that for we've sure. seen, uh, especially with all the shade that Jeff Keighley was throwing. <laughs> Which is kind of funny to look back now and just see Jeff Keighley as the instigator for all this. Jeff Keighley seems to be the instigator for a lot of things. Yes. He uh, he loves the drama, that man, and I appreciate that. And just we're just buttery smooth with the transitions today. Oh, yeah. Because the next story, straight from the mouth of the horse that is Jeff Keighley, the there Game Awards go. will be December 21st, mm. back fully in person. Is that... 
As, is that as late as it's ever been? I always know it's been around Christmas time. Uh, I don't know exactly. I want to think it's normally like the first week of December. First the only reason weeks. the only reason I bring this up is because their cutoff is normally like November first, oh. and that always causes some issues. Sure. Or maybe it's like the end of November because I remember I think it was like Smash one year wasn't available for like best fighting game, but it was available the next year. Yeah, which it. That's the problem with doing best of the year stuff inside of the year. Like, mm-hmm. you could argue that Game Awards should probably be in January, January, but I understand why they do it here. You know, people are clamoring for the best of the year stuff as the year end is coming. I get why they do it. Um, and normally there isn't a huge release in the last couple weeks of December. True. So that's exciting. I always enjoy the Game Awards for what they are. Oh, they're awesome. Uh, a lot of people get disappointed by them because I think people think of the Game Awards as like, so the problem with the Game Awards, sorry to like cut myself off, but brief video essay. Yeah, the problem with the Game Awards is that people view them in the same light as like the Oscars or the Grammys, where they're like, "Oh, this was declared best game of the year. That means this is the best game of the year." Sure. As opposed to what it is, which is just a panel of voices in the gaming industry voting. Which honestly, that's how you should view the Oscars and the Grammys as well. They don't matter that much. Yeah. It's just a board saying this is what we voted. Like it is not as definitive as I think a lot of people view it. So I enjoy it just to see what won, but I don't give it any more weight than like what IGN gives game of the year that's or what Polygon gives game of the year, or whatever. Like exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is like. You might, just, because of the growing popularity of the Game Awards, weight it slightly more. Sure. And I don't know exactly the criteria for like the panel of judges that they show or that get to vote. I'm pretty for the sure Game they're, they're games media people from like everywhere. That's what so I thought. Is like it's sort and of like a, different countries and everything. Yeah, wide breadth, which is good. Yeah, I love that. But I agree with you that if one game wins the Game Awards Game of the Year, but then a different game wins. IGN, Kotaku, Polygon, like all these different outlets. Right. I'm going to assume that's probably the better game. Yeah. If it wins multiple other right. Game of the Year awards. Um, but I agree with you that that's not the way that it should be viewed as a show. No. You should view it as like 50% Oscars, 50% E3. Right. Because like, that's why I get excited about it. Right. It's like the VGAs. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those other smaller award shows where like, yes, there's awards, but the announcements are fun. It's not quite E3 level and I think some people ascribe too much of the we're going to get huge releases because normally we get like one or two cool that's things. That's the thing. You get one exactly. to look forward to. There's yeah. something that's going to be there. And I I am a person who just enjoys the sort of pomp and circumstance yeah. especially when you put all these nerdy people in suits and make them talk on a stage. Like that's just fun to me. Um, I like I like the sort of classiness of it even when it kind of goes off the rails. Like I, I, I really enjoy it as an event. I think if you if you just go into it with a state of mind of this is just going to be a fun night celebrating games and then that's, it and works. that's like their motto is like exactly a, a celebration of video games yeah uh, and it also veers a little bit into the a couple of different realms one being like kids choice awards when they have a giant foam Crash Bandicoot <laughs> come out to right. announce Crash Team Racing yeah uh, but the, I think the other underrated aspect of the game awards is the music. Yes. Because they always have a live orchestra. Yeah. Does the genius decision. Namely the themes from like all of the Game of the Year nominees. Yeah. And that always is an awesome montage to it's see. It's so cool. Uh, so I always look forward to that. Looking forward to it just as much this year. Looking forward to seeing Jeff Keighley constantly tweet like, more people are watching the Game Awards this year than ever before. Because that gets, happens are, every year. There are more ways to watch. Uh also, looking forward to uh, doing our predictions for who oh, wins course. and nominations and all that. That's Without be fun. doubt. And the final story. Yeah. The one that you probably definitely knew was coming. Mm-hmm. Sony has yes. officially acquired Bluepoint 
games. Yeah, so when you were talking about remasters, I thought that's what we were segueing to. Uh, yeah. I'm There's glad a lot of remaster talk today, but the wrinkle with this story is that Bluepoint is apparently making an original game. Oh, that's start fun. With, at least. Good. They deserve that. And it's like, yeah, you know, good, congratulations, yeah. Blue Point. Yes. However, <laughs> you're so good at remaking you're games. You're so good at it. Yeah. And there's just one game that you haven't done yet <laughs> that I wish someone would do, but, you know. Which is? What do you think it is? No, it's but I'm infamous, I'm doing man. it for the people who are listening. I know what it is. It's infamous. <laughs> someone do it. Okay, the game's infamous, but what's it called? Uh, no. I, I'm glad for them, you know, they deserve to get money because they're great, and they've already had such an, a, like, an alignment with uh, Sony anyway. Yeah. They've been a this... de facto second party for like 10 years. Sure, yeah. Like, and it's it's funny because this image leaked when Sony oh, yeah. acquired, who was it that they acquired? Uh, well, who was it that they acquired? I don't remember. Me neither. Because everyone wanted it to be Bluepoint. Right. And then there was an image that, like, I think Sony Japan or Sony Brazil or somebody like that. I'm going to look it up. Published accidentally that said Sony buys Bluepoint and everybody got excited. So it must it must have been in the works for a while. You know, you got to kind of uh, dot your dot your I's and cross your T's there. But I'm excited for Bluepoint. I hope their their game is cool. Was it Housemark? No, they already. No, because that was a while back. Yeah, that was. I'm just trying to think of Sony Studios. Insom was a while back. Yeah. Man, what was it? Who did Sony buy? Going into the Google News. Okay. Scrolling way back. <laughs> but no, it's exciting for Bluepoint. You and I are both big fans of Bluepoint with their Demon Souls remake and all the remakes they've done. They did the uh, Uncharted collection as well, I believe. They've they're a really talented studio, and I'm excited to see what I'm curious what even type of game they'll make. Yeah, I know. Like, do you think they go I mean, I would assume they maybe go like third person action. Well, considering but, the pedigree of what they've made remade yeah uncharted shadow the colossus demon souls demon souls you're you're leaning towards a third person action adventure yeah style which, i mean that's my jam so i would be excited about it okay i think i found places and acquisition of blue point leaks it's got to be in this article okay Wouldn't you think i would think so i'm gonna i'm gonna look up sony studios and see if you can find it faster it's gonna be great. Oh, maybe video. it is. According because apparently PlayStation Japan uploaded the wrong image with their first suite on Housemark's acquisition. Oh, it was Housemark. Okay. So I guess right because they bought Housemark right after Returnal came out, right? Okay. Because they I also think, acquired this that little Fire Sprite Studios like a couple weeks ago. Oh, I didn't see this. No one literally cares at all about that. <laughs> what have they made? Oh, I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> they might be brand new. The earnestness with which you said that was amazing. Yeah. Do something that makes me remember you, Fire Sprite. I'm gonna look up Fire Sprite. Go right ahead. But that is the end of the news. Okay. So as you look that up, I will introduce, unless you, you're going to interrupt me at some point, which I don't know if it's going to happen. I can no. go ahead and start no, preemptively not, talking I'm, about it. Okay. Go ahead. So our big topic for today, it's Halloween. Ooh. So in the most tertiarily Halloween-esque you know, topic tie-in of all time, Yeah. the you know, prompt that I presented to you was video game tropes or mechanics that need to die. Yes. Because death is spooky. <laughs> so here in just a moment, we will get into our choices for tropes and mechanics that needed to not die. But Tandy, you seem like you found something. Yes. Uh, Fire Sprite worked on a VR game called The Persistence. Great. But they also uh, helped out on Astro's Playroom. Mm. So it seems well, that like sounds about right. they might, they're in London. In London! <laughs> uh, and might see, uh, might, uh, that might be why they were acquired. Very good. I'm just adjusting the camera for audio listeners. Go ahead. So, 
shall we get into this list? My list is shorter than yours. Yeah. I opted not to, you know, dig into the deepest realms of my brain to try to expand my list. <laughs> sure. You have about twice as many as me. You want me to start? So you can start and you just do two and then I'll do one. We'll All do right. it that way. Uh, granted, I was waiting in the barbershop, which the wait was so long I didn't get my hair cut. But, <laughs> uh, and so I just came up with a bunch of these. My first trope or mechanic that needs to die. Uh, games not being accessible. Okay. Now, by this, I mean a few things. Uh, not having keybind swapping, which is yeah, we one, of the, this. one of the most annoying things when you can't change your keybinds. It is you, very annoying. If you don't know what keybinds are, they're just your controls. Um, not having subtitles. It's still a surprising amount of games that don't have subtitles. Really? And uh, not having uh, colorblindness modes. Things mm-hmm. like this. Like, accessibility, I, I mean, it, it helps that I follow... Uh, Steven Spawn, uh, who is the head of Able Gamers, uh, really solid dude, and he often, when a, when a game comes out, will tweet, I wasn't able to play this game past the first five minutes because they won't let me change my keybinds or whatever, and he like just cannot play it because uh, he needs accessibility help. So like, just do this. It doesn't seem like it's that much harder to be able to swap your keys than just to have preset keys. And even from an outside perspective, like, where I'm thankfully able enough to play most games, um, or have the ability to play games, I should say, it like as the developer intended, the standard way, whatever. Uh, I still sometimes want to swap keybinds. Oh yeah, because some stuff just feels wrong. And like you've talked about it before yeah. about how you kind of default to Call of Duty Ex- settings. Exactly. Uh, I'm kind of the same way, especially with like shooters. If you put a weird, if you put a weird thing on a weird button, I want to change it. Uh-huh. And if I can't, I'm gonna be pissed. So. Just build in accessibility, hire someone to do it if you need to, like outsource it, but especially on, like I understand smaller budget indie games, I still think even key swapping should be a thing, but Mm. if you're a big studio, you should have as many accessibility options as possible. We saw this with Naughty Dog, with I think Uncharted 4 first, uh, where they kind of got some flack for not having a lot of accessibility in I think Last of Us 1, and then Uncharted 4 was the first game that I remember playing where it before you even start the game has you go through a list of accessibility options that were pretty thorough and say like i want this i don't want Mm -hmm. this this is the text size i want to see this is the text color like everything and it doesn't take that long and it goes a long way uh so yeah listen to the voices that are more prominent on this but it's something i care a lot about and i think more games should focus on i agree very true you mentioned call of duty in there i just want to say i'm all the way back in really i've been craving it yeah i miss it that's fair i've been wanting to play a little bit of warzone actually uh, my next, my next one, another trope or mechanic I think should die. Uh, games that require you to go out of the game to search for crafting recipes or cooking recipes or like anything that makes you have to refer like to a it. wiki is annoying. Yeah. And I feel like you should be able to find all of that information within a game. Things oh, like yeah. things like Binding Isaac is or Binding of Isaac is one of the most prominent examples where it's like, okay, I found this little thing, but it doesn't tell me what it does, and it's just requiring me to remember what all of these things do. And I know part of that is like if you played enough hours, whatever, but at least on your first pickup, show me what it does before I commit to picking it up. Yeah. Uh, I just want, you know, I want to know what I'm getting into and I don't want to have to look on my phone to do it. I thought about uh, cooking in games as mm. almost as something I just I kind of want to do away with that completely. Interesting, but there are you know games where it serves a better use or a more practical use, and it's easier to figure out. And it's not so nebulous, right? So I didn't entirely include that one, but one that I did include. Okay, 
And Lord have mercy. <laughs> like, look, there's nothing inherently wrong about this in games. Okay. It's just so annoying. And all I wrote here is enemies or environments that poison you. <laughs> I wrote poison levels as one of like, mine. Poison so is the worst. That's my next one. Yeah. Holy shit. So just X that one off right now. Poison <laughs> is the worst. It's so bad. It's just unmitigated annoyance. Yeah. Because the way it drains on you over time. So and in the games where it is most prevalent. It's usually the games where health management is sort of an active part of the game. Right. So it completely takes you out of whatever encounter that you're in. Yes. Because you're basically no longer on the offensive at all. Yeah. It's either you're getting out into a pause menu to figure out, oh, where's my antidote? Where's my whatever? <laughs> right. What's my plan of attack? Which totally you know, derails the momentum of the experience. Yeah. But then even if it doesn't and you have it like quick equipped, it's like, okay, then what was the point of doing it at all? <laughs> yeah. Like, if I have 10 antidotes on me and you can just poison me and I can just take this, it's like, well, that served a hell of a lot of purpose, didn't it? <laughs> right, yeah. It's so, it's so annoying. Uh, and it's, you know, the most obvious example to me is every From Software game. Mm-hmm. And that's the ones where it not only is the most stressful, but it is their entire levels yes. in pretty much every game <laughs> that are just... You walk around and you will get poisoned. Yeah. You can't avoid it. Right. And they tell you, they're like, you better find some antidotes before you go down into the swamp pit of hell or whatever the <laughs> level might be called. Because uh, it's always some swampy, murky bullshit. Yeah. That I hate it. <laughs> it's true. Uh, shout out to Zolivier Nelson and uh, David Galindo, two of, two of my buddies who are devs. Uh, I was playing game night with them uh, and we were doing a game called Pummel Party, mm. which is basically Mario Party, but on Steam. Uh, and we just got into a conversation about poison levels for whatever reason. And they were both just like, it's so it's so cheap, basically. And it's like, the thing that I think about poison levels is, and something I think we brought up that night, is like, it never feels rewarding to die to poison. Yeah. Like, if you die to an enemy five times and then you beat them, there's some sort of, like, triumphant moment. If you die to poison five times and then don't die the sixth time, you don't feel like, yeah, I did it. It's like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Like, it's it's more Very relief true. than it is triumph, and that's something I don't think you should ever shoot for. Um, I, the other side of that coin is... I've been saying that phrase a lot recently. I don't know why. But the other side of that coin uh, is like sort of Metroidvania type games Mm -hmm. or platformers where like you can't stay on a platform for so long and then it's poisoned or uh, Guacamelee. I'm pretty sure there's a poison section like it's just annoying no matter where it comes across and it's not fun annoying. It's just annoying. Now, here's what I'll say. I like it as a weapon in the protagonist's arsenal. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like Slay the Spy or something. Yeah. Or a good example, I think, too. And I mean, it doesn't. When you think of poison, well, I guess we haven't really explained much can, about can, what can the, I, can, the can, typical can, 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 mechanic of what it is. Yeah. It's you get, you know, the status effect and then your health drains slowly over time. Mm-hmm. That's the most classic use of it. Yeah. A good example where they sort of subvert that, I think, is Assassin's Creed. Okay. Uh, where poison in that game basically makes enemies go deranged and they attack their own right. people. Okay. That's a good subversion of what poison typically does in games. Sure. And I don't mind that even if you as the protagonist are able to sort of whittle your opponent's health away with poison. Yeah. But having it be inflicted on you is just incredibly annoying. It is. It's it's annoying no matter where you come across it. Uh, my next my next trope or mechanic that needs to die. I guess you can just do one now. Yeah, I'm sure we'll probably go back and forth now. Uh, over trailer frication, <laughs> which we've seen most, re- most recently with That sounds like a Death Red Loop. Hot Chili Peppers song. <laughs> it does. Dream of over trailer frication. 
Uh, surprised it works syllable-wise. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we saw this with Deathloop. We've seen this with other games in the past. Overexposing your game to the audience. Uh, and I know that, you know, I work in marketing, obviously. Like, this is something I'm aware of, of, like, always wanting to get your message in front of people. But I think the amount of trailers you need goes down as the scale of your game and studio goes up. Mm. So, like, an indie game, I understand that you have to remind people, like, three or four times in, like, a Direct or a PlayStation Presents or whatever. Like, hey, we still exist. We're coming, you know, this day or whatever. Or our new DLC is out. Maybe go check the game out. Unless you're jet the far shore and then don't show me anything at all. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes, honestly, sometimes no trailers and word of mouth as is a lot better. As we've discussed, for than, sure. Than a bunch of trailers or at least one really good one. Uh, but especially with a game the scale of Deathloop, um, and I'm sure we've like GTA five remastered is mm-hmm. another one where we just see it everywhere. And it, it sort of creates this negative association with the game that we have seen again, just to bring Deathloop back up. Like that is getting game of the year talk and neither of oh. us have played it. I can't wait for it to win game of the year at the game awards <laughs> and for us to just eat crow like we never have before. That'll be hilarious. I wonder if I'll play it by then. We'll see. Um, but just, like, getting completely oversaturated on anything is a bad idea. This happens with movies a lot, too, now. I kind of just stay away from trailers in general, mm. unless it happens organically, and I see it on Twitter, or, like, uh, I see it in the theater. But I don't go searching out trailers anymore, just because, you know, that's a mini-spoiler for yourself, of I guess. Course. I like going into things as, as completely unaware as possible, and over-trailification is a problem that I think we could probably nix by just slowing down a bit. Yeah, for sure. And I, t- I tend to do that... Only with a select like subset of games. Uh, the Last of Us Two is one of the few that I was like, about as media blackout on yeah. as you could be. Yeah. Um. And I could probably stand to go from this point forward, media blackout on God of War. Sure. Uh, yeah. I would like to see no more. I will play that game. I pro like I promise you, Sony Santa Monica. I'm gonna buy it. Oh yeah. You don't have to show me anything else. I'll pay at all. And as we've discussed, I'll pay you more money if you want. <laughs> Get the collector's edition. I could do that. Yeah. But I, I don't use all the ancillary stuff, really. I have the, uh, the statue back there of uh, the first God of War, and it's great. But so, I bought it after the fact. Yeah. I don't need to see any more of it. I don't need to see any more of a lot of games. Yep. Sell me, but on some games, I'm already sold. Give me one really good trailer, and also... Don't show a commercial that's the same trailer 15 times during NFL Sunday. I understand it probably works, but do it like once. I don't need it all the time. It's also That's just the way that every commercial works on NFL know, Sunday, regrettably. <laughs> we just watch a lot of commercials For on, sure. on Sunday. So, brief sidebar. Yeah. My girlfriend currently away for a weekend. Yeah. I cannot wait. Like, tomorrow, I don't care what you're doing. Yeah. I don't care what our other friends are doing. Yeah. I'm going to be parked on a couch at 1 o'clock <laughs> by somebody watching football I mean and we're gonna be parked here in a few hours watching football for a few more hours that's true but that's literally all I wanted to do this weekend hell yeah my next one <laughs> and I titled it thusly go do the same three things to unlock something else <laughs> very and good here's the and I was thinking I like this for some reason the example that jumped to mind and I can talk you to this point but for those who haven't played control mm. when you go into the like lower area when you're in that big like centrifuge like nuclear reactor looking space yeah there's like oh you have to go to this place but it's like we need you to go do these other two like exact same things like restore the power to like two different places go get all three key cards things like that yeah and it's not that those things are completely out of place all the time Mm -hmm. I just don't like when you have to do it multiple times yes 
and usually it's three. Sometimes it's two. Sometimes right. it's more. Yeah. But like, go send me to do one extra errand, but that's it. Yeah. Don't send me to do the same errand back to back to back. Right. Because that's just as tedious as game design could possibly be. Yes. I think the only way it works is if each journey is vastly different. Yeah. But if it is go down hallway one, once you reach the end of hallway one, open the door. Go down hallway two, once you reach the hallway two, open the door. Same with hallway three. Then, yeah, it does get tiring, and it's like, it's like it feels like a way to just pad time. And I'm pretty against padding time in anything. So, yeah, I'm totally with you. It's sort of like if, the repetitiveness is annoying. I think the way to help, you know, think about this from a game design perspective would be from a quest design perspective. Mm. Where... For a quest like this, you're going from the point A, so the person who gives you the quest, yeah. to point B, then back to point A, then right. to point C, then to back to point A, however often. Yeah. Whereas it should be more of like a circle. Right. You go to point A, B, C, D, F, and then Mid-come back to back. A, yes. and now you're ready. Yeah, I agree. For, to do whatever the next task may be. I right. think that is a more you know, engaging, entertaining cycle to engage in right and it's a more natural cycle right yeah. like if you have three things you need to do in a day you don't come back home in between everything right it's not like oh my dishwasher is you know out of dish soap yeah i'm going to go to dollar store and buy some dish soap and then i'm going to and come back and put it in there then i'm going to go to walmart <laughs> and buy towels and, and then bring those back yeah use the towels and put them in there and then i'm going to go to target <laughs> and get a coffee just so i have enough energy to come back and do it <laughs> right like, yeah that's not how things you work just, you would go in a loop like you said so yeah, gameplay loops are important. Uh, my next one. Uh, this trope needs to die. Not enough hair options. Uh-huh. Especially for people of color. Mm. Because this is something that I've seen a lot of my my, my friends who are, who are people of color on Twitter and Instagram and all that post about a number of times. Is uh, I even think... Um, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm uh, Paris. I think Paris had a tweet the other day where... It was like, why is this one black guy with cornrows in every single uh, yeah, I, I every single game? Uh, and it's true. It's like it's the same. It feels like PS2 level when it comes to people of color, as opposed to you know modern. Here are fifteen options if you're if you have like white hair or whatever. Uh, I just I want more hair options for every type of person. Uh, and honestly, like that is gonna make your game look cooler. And feel more diverse and feel more yeah. real because people have tons of different hair types. Like you and I are are both white guys and our hair are very different when it comes to like texture and stuff. Apply that writ large and just if you're gonna give people customization options, give every person the customization option. For sure. It's it bothers me. It's a spectrum that is not more dense on either end. Like it is just a spectrum from point A to point B as dense across the board in terms right. of style and structure, whatever it may be. Yeah. So you should probably do another, right? Yes. On the pace that we're going. Uh, not having sprint. <laughs> Nothing annoys me more than when a game doesn't have sprint. Yeah. I don't care if it's a walking simulator. Give me like a 25% boost if I hold down a button. It better be L3 too, just for me to <laughs> Yes, you know, 100%. Chime in. If it's not L3, you messed up. As a toggle too. It's like L3 you click on it and you run. L3 off. Or you just when you stop pushing in the direction and you slow back sure, down. Yeah. And then when you move again, then you click it again, then you run. Yeah. We're teaching you how to make games that people <laughs> want to play. <laughs> it's true. Was that the end of that one? Yes. That one's just, not very involved. Yeah, exactly. Just don't just put sprint in your games. This I think is the most recent one that I came up with. Mm-hmm. And it might be the one let me look at the rest of these, blah blah blah. This might be the one the hill that I'm most willing to die on. Okay. 
enemies that can only be killed with one very specific move. Mm. And let me give you an example. I totally agree. Batman, all of the Arkham games. Yeah. There was an enemy with a shield. The only way you can kill the enemy with the shield is to press one specific button combo and slide underneath them and then hit them from behind. Yes. You cannot defeat this enemy using any other of Batman's (laughs) ridiculously unrealistic array of gadgets. Yeah. Where he literally has toothpaste explosives (laughs) that he can just and blow up a brick wall. Yes. He cannot kill this enemy with a shield. Without sliding to home. Exactly. (laughs) So that's the polar opposite wrong way of how I think you should do this. Yeah. The right way is God of War. Mm. Where there is a specific type of enemy in God of War. Uh, they're called Hellwalkers. Yeah. This is not a spoiler. No. They're basically like ice enemies. They're very early on. They're within the first 30 yeah. minutes of the game. And the Leviathan Axe, you know, the classic weapon that you use in God of War, is sort of ice-based. You're in Norse mythology. Everything's cold. Yes. That's pretty much the whole gist of the Norse. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Norse. Everything's cold. And there are points in the game where, you know, characters allude to the fact that, oh, your Leviathan axe is not going to do very well against these enemies. Yeah. But it still kills the enemies if you use it enough. Sure. And, it's just weaker. And you also, as long as you just don't have your axe, all of your attacks still work. They're just punches and kicks and they're more like melee based as opposed to using your axe. So exactly. Even then, the way you're supposed to kill them is still various enough. Mm-hmm. And like you said, you can whittle away their health if you really want to go at them with the axe. Why not? Yeah. And that's sort of the thing. Was like it, the Arkham series, I think, is the wor- maybe the worst offender because there's your shield enemies, there's your uh, stun stick. Oh enemies. God, like, I hate those guys. Um, but then when I was thinking about God of War. I couldn't, those, the Hellwalkers are about as close as I could get, mm-hmm. but then I was just thinking about all these random assorted enemies that are in God of War, and I'm like, you have to think more critically about how you go about these enemies, because there's not an insta-kill button, basically. Right, yeah. It's like, you have to whittle their health and use different strategies and different runic attacks and all sorts of things. Yes. And it all works, it all just works to different levels of effectiveness. Right. Whereas, sort of going, you know, with the one button route, it's... Back to the poison and antidote thing. It's like, if this is the literally only way to counteract this, just don't include it at all because they offset each other. With this, it's like, if this is the one button I need to defeat this enemy, just make it a normal enemy and let me defeat them more creatively. Yeah, no, that was well said. I totally agree. Like, I, we are fine with enemies that have different attacks and different types of enemies. It is just... When there is one solution and one solution only to killing them. It requires no thought. Right. (laughs) It's like, oh, these are the triangle guys. I have to press triangle (laughs) when I see them. And it's like, oh, I don't want to do that. Uh, All right. Next one to kind of piggyback off of the the Arkham criticism. I'm going to do another criticism of something that's in Arkham, although I think it works better in Arkham than in other games. Which is what I've just called Witcher Vision. Um, (laughs) it It is the... Thing where you're on a quest and you have to go into a different viewpoint to see blood trails or footsteps or, uh, you know, scent following patterns or whatever. I, this always annoys me. It's so easy to lose in most games. Um, I don't like the sort of way it takes me out of the game. It's like, oh, right. Now I have sci-fi mm-hmm. vision. Uh, like, I think it works. The only 
excusable example of this, I think, is Arkham because that is the detective side of Bruce Wayne, yeah. and he has all of the tech where you can be like, okay, that he's just going into a vision in his in his uh, in his cowl or something, and that's letting him see this. Whereas in The Witcher, sure, he has like Witcher powers or whatever, but it's just like it, they use that mechanic so heavily that it gets so worn out for me. Um, other games have done this too, like Eagle Vision is a thing in a lot of games. Yeah. Uh, and it's to varying degrees of offense for me, but I just don't, I don't like it as okay. We need to get player from point A to point B. Let's just give them a line to follow. Mm, yeah, it's like yeah. that's the that's the most basic thing you could do. Why not have you look around and be like, okay, look for signs of whatever, and then you see some brush that's opened up, or like even like Ghost of Tsushima does this really well, which is let the wind sort of guide you if you need the help. Like, I like the more baked-in solutions rather than, oh, yeah, we're just going to go into negative vision and there's a red line. Like, that always bothers me. Now, interesting. So, I have mixed feelings about this mechanic. Okay. I agree with you that, and I'll go as far as to say, I like it in the Arkham games. Yeah, um, it's not it's not offensive to you me know, in the You know, it's built into sort of the Batman mythos. Sure. And I think they're a little less overt about what the thing that you're looking for is. Yes, agreed. Because there's, I think it's in Arkham Asylum. Where you're looking for Commissioner Gordon, mm-hmm. and you're looking around, and it's not until you use Detective Vision that it becomes clear to you at all, when it's like, oh, his favorite tobacco. Mm. There's tobacco vapors in the air, and right. I can like, follow those. I can those. track them, yeah. like, That's kind of cool. Now, interesting that you bring up Ghost of Tsushima, because there's the also mechanic in Ghost of Tsushima, where occasionally you're finding someone's house, and they're like, oh, I need to investigate what happened here. And it doesn't have like a specific... like vision that you go into even mm-hmm. though that is a mechanic where if you're like in a combat situation or a stealth yeah. situation uh where you that's can like fine. see when enemies you can in see red people. outlines yeah that's okay yeah that doesn't bother me no but because I, I just just happened to me with the uh, lady masako quest line mm-hmm. earlier that i was playing uh where it's like a you know murder investigation is basically the situation right and you go into this house and it's like there are three things you need to find in here before you leave and you walk in, I'm like, there's a giant blood stain on the floor. There's <laughs> right. one. Yeah. There's this broken window with obvious fabric hanging off of it. I'm like, it, you don't need a detective. Right, exactly. To figure these things out. Yeah. It's the subtleties and nuance of like an Arkham versus the so- super right in your face, you know, clues. Mm-hmm. Like calling them clues is generous. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I it's, don't like that, you know, overt level of you know, hunting down these little hints. Sure. I, I think the problem comes for me because I like it in Arkham because it's sort of an all-purpose button. Yeah, Like, you sure. can use it in the combat. You can use it when looking for, like, Riddler trophies. Although that is a little bit of a downside because you can play almost... Arkham Asylum, you can pretty much play the entire game in detective mode. Yeah, if you wanted to, sure. But I think it's worse when it's like, oh, this quest requires Witcher Vision. Uh, Let me turn it on. Because then it just feels like you didn't know how to get the player yeah. to this next spot except for follow the red trail. Um, I think I, to clarify a little bit, I think I only really dislike it when it is a move person from point A to point B type thing. Like, let me kind of flow through as, as opposed to, again, just following the line. My next one's very short. Okay. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We can just keep bouncing forward. We're having a great conversation. And it's just long animations when collecting resources. <laughs> That's a great one. Like, That's a, such a good one. That's so good. There honestly doesn't need to be an animation at all. No. Uh, and it doesn't matter if it's you're opening a chest. You're digging something out of the ground. Like, whatever you're it is. You're grabbing a leaf. Like, games that even... And one of the 
primary offenders of this is, I think, the first modern Wolfenstein, mm. Wolfenstein the New Order, where you have to pick up bullets. You have to reach right. down and pick them up, or like every other shooter, if you walk over a dead corpse, it's just like plus Press however many bullets. Yeah. Um, but there are some games where like opening a chest is like, yeah, like a three <laughs> second groan, and then like maybe even like oh, let's take two seconds. Like I'm gonna dip my hand into this chest. Right. Like, uh, e- even in like Breath of the Wild, which I love, it gets a little egregious. I do love the theme, the like I like that. It's fun, but. Yeah, it can get a little much. And I, mean, I think you can skip those animations, too. Even in God of War, and as much as we love God of War, however, the fun subversion with God of War is that Kratos, instead of opening a chest, just literally breaks open the <laughs> yeah. top of the chest. Which is like, at least you made it fun. Yeah, exactly. You know? And it's a cool throwback to the PS2 games where he did that. Oh, really? Yeah, he that. he's that's one of the only like connective tissue moments is they would just he would just break whatever box or whatever was in front of him to, to grab stuff. Uh, another game that I think does it well is uh, we're gonna applaud the last of us but with the last of us it's literally just it's just a grab that's it yep and like doesn't matter if it's a if you're grabbing like bullets from somebody or searching through a desk or whatever it's just bloop it's kind of funny to like if you're in a room with a lot of resources mm-hmm. to see like both arms or whatever player characters be like it's really funny that's incentive for you uh, audio listeners yeah, to come see what we just did with our hands <laughs> I try to make it. I try to make a noise when no, I know you have to do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, next one. This is a small one. Small grievance here. Not properly marking inventory. So I hate inventory windows that are just this is everything you have, oh, as okay. opposed to like these are the weapons. This is the junk. You gotta have a junk window. Yeah, that's a good one. Because I don't know what to sell unless the game tells me. Okay, you can sell this. Like anytime there's not specific inventory and not a specific. And there's not one game that comes to mind here, but like. I want as much specification as possible about what I have. And I guess another piggyback is just over encumbering in general. Sure. I hate, over, like, I love Fallout 3 to death. The one thing I don't like about Fallout 3, or one of the things I don't like about Fallout 3, is just how often you're over encumbered. That happens with all the Bethesda games, but I understand why it's there. But, like, give me a weight limit, sure. Don't make me move slow. Like, just don't. Just, okay, you've exceeded this by one item. Now you have to go sell stuff or whatever. It's just funny that, like, it could be, like, a carrot. Yeah, yeah, something so small could over-encumber you. And then you go from sprinting at full speed, and you pick up this carrot, and you're, like, a lumbering mass. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, but that's one of those things, like... There are lines that we, as consumers of video games, have to draw in the sand and say, I'm not going to complain about this, because what are they going to do? Right. I guess they can make you progressively slower yeah, as, as you, pick- you get heavier. Yeah. Which, But even that would become annoying, because then it's like, oh, I just don't want to carry anything, because right. I want to be as fast I'm as possible. I'm just going to sell everything. So, yeah, fair enough. Let's see here. This one you're going to agree with. Okay. Online trophies and achievements. Yeah, great one. Like nobody likes them. Nobody likes them, be- and it's as simple as my achievements in this game don't need to be based off the performance of anybody else. Great call. Like and I think that's as much as you could boil it down to. Yep. Whether it's their other person's acumen at the game or just their willingness to participate in the game whatsoever. <laughs> right. Because there are dead servers of people without you know certain trophies that they're like a couple trophies away from a platinum yep. that they'll never get. Nope. Jeopardy PS3. You know exactly. No uh, one will ever play that game online with me. Yeah. It's as simple as just do not include trophies that are tied in any way to another person's enjoyment, talents, 
or willingness to participate in a video game. Well said. I think the only way they're acceptable is play one game. Sure. <laughs> like, if you do it as a motivator for people to try your multiplayer because you believe so much in it, fine. I'll allow That's it. That's cool. I'll play one game of your shitty Worms multiplayer. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, when it's based on, it's the Fall Guys achievement, right? It's that, that specific one. Like, just don't. Don't make it skill based. Okay, well now, but Fall Guys is all online, so I guess that's it, I guess it's all fine. online. There's some, you have some wiggle room there. Sure, but in that case, it's maybe more like instead of making like win X number of games, maybe just like play, play X number of yes, games and agreed. do a few weird like niche things. Yeah, equip certain cosmetics that you're gonna unlock eventually if you right. play enough. Something yes. like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, my next one. Follow me missions. Yeah, if there isn't good dialogue or if the NPC walks too slowly. These are such buzzkills when it's like, okay, you're going to go to this place. Come on. It's like, oh, God. Assassin's Creed is walk with me mission. (laughs) Like, how not to do it 101. Fire walk with me in the game. They're awful about Mm. this. And they always have been. And even though I haven't played the last couple, maybe they've improved. Maybe they've cut these missions out entirely. Yeah. But I remember, like, a donkey has a great video about this. Shout out. Of, like... The first like twenty something minutes of like Assassin's Creed Four, which is one of our favorite Assassin's oh, Creed great games. Great game, I like the like, game. You're just walking through this town with this guy. <laughs> I don't even remember this. Very slowly. <laughs> That's like, so funny. And Ghost of Tsushima does this well. They're trailing missions. Yes. But either you're walking to your horse, which is always better to like ride the horse, whatever. Yep. But then if you sprint, whoever you're walking with they starts sprint sprinting. Too. It's I'm like, the best. Thank you. It's the best. And even their walking pace is yours. Yes. Why make an NPC walk slower than you? I, it's I don't so dumb. get it. Unless I, I'm sure it would be really cool if we could get like David or somebody or Zolivier to come on the podcast with something like this and mm. be like, "Hey, why do people do this?" Like, I imagine there might have been at one point a sort of loading thing with these, where you know it's the Mass Effect elevator sure. that everybody talks about, where in order to load the rest of the map or wherever you're going, they need to slow you down just a little bit uh-huh. so they can load the next part. I wonder if that's where they started from, but these are still in games today. Uh, another good game that I think does this well and why I kind of wrote the caveat was like Red Dead 2. You're, yeah, that's the other one. You ride a lot of places with people. But and the dialogue is There's good. always good dialogue. The conversations are great, and it just kind of feels more westerny that For way. Sure. It adds to the ambiance. It adds to the environment as opposed to just, all right, we're riding a horse. <laughs> and then you finally end up there. Like it the conversations that you have on or even like god of war boat rides uh, right like those conversations are amazing they and are. They, they fill such a gap from getting because a lot of our problems can be boiled down to how you get us from point a to point b and as long as you just fill that with information that we want about these characters or the world or whatever we're good mm-hmm. it's just it, when it's not that it gets so tedious hit me with another uh tutorials that are more than 20 minutes long or unskippable Okay. Because there is a right way to do tutorials and there's a wrong way to do tutorials. The right way to do tutorials is built into the first hour of the game, but in a way that isn't we're tutorializing you. It's a one pop-up menu and be like, hey, when you see this enemy, you can do this. Or like, this is a heavy attack. This is a strong attack. Whatever. As opposed to the sort of, and this is one of the few things I think like Jedi Fallen Order kind of got wrong, the putting you in a blank room here is how you get to this next point and at least they tried to build it into the story with that like with, with your uh, teacher and whatever but uh, another game that does this oh it just came to mind and I just lost it a pretty recent game 
that puts you oh uh doom does this doom doom eternal they put you in like a white box and they're like hey in order to use your grenade launcher do it like this whereas you could just show me that in the next room of combat uh i just don't like tutorials that are over tutorially yeah and i i think it also granted depending on the style of game tutorials are way more or less necessary uh like if if it is your standard you know, PlayStation exclusive type game that you and I play where it's third person action or first person action, whatever. We don't really need that much help. No. Like we know that R2 probably attacks or shoots. We know R1, if there's a melee weapon, is probably a light attack. Like we know all these things. And sure, you can show me once in like the lower left corner and be like, hey, this is how you do this. That's fine. It's just when a game doesn't just start, it just starts as a tutorial. That's when it bothers me. This has inspired me. Maybe a future... I don't know if we could pull this into a huge topic. Okay. But what if we, like, created, like, oh, like, we listed, like, five or six genres of games, and we both gave our, like, prime controller layout. Oh, that's fun. That'd be something fun. Yeah. Put that on As the like back As, like, a burner. mini topic or I'm something. I'm telling you to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, you're, but, you're the host. You know. So, my next one, and this is, you know, callback, because I think the most egregious offender of this is your beloved Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Okay. But... <laughs> Weapons and armor that degrade over time. Also one of mine. Yep. Is just infuriating and pointless. Yep, totally agree. Now, I get that, you know, it's not much of a spoiler to say you can acquire the Master Sword in no. Legend of Zelda. No, Breath at all. Of the Wild. And it's the only sword that doesn't, like, break if sure. you use it too much. But even then, there's still, like, a cooldown thing. Yeah, right. But, and I think the most egregious thing about Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is that if you use it too much, it breaks. Yeah, like, whatever you can't weapon use it, it may again. be. There are plenty of other games where, like, oh, your armor is worn down. You have to go repair it. Right, go fix it. Which that's annoying enough as it is. Yeah. Um, because I don't really care about... It's really that I don't care about this armor I'm wearing right now because if this is a mechanic in your game, it's probably the kind of game where I'm going to get a better set of armor later. Sure. Just let me wear this armor that's okay <laughs> yeah. until I get the set that's better. And don't make me, you know... You know, don't tie me to these blacksmiths that I have to go fast travel right. to every twenty minutes to go repair my armor. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I or I agree. Uh, weapon degradation in any form is annoying, and like there are various levels of annoying that it gets. But yeah, Breath of the Wild is the worst one. Where you know I have this really cool axe. I guess the one forgivable thing with them is. If you go fight an enemy of that same type, you're probably going to get their weapon. So you could, I don't, I'm I'm a little hazy since it's been a little while since I played that game, but I don't think there are any weapons that like you can only get a couple times that also expire. Right. But you know, still having to go out of your way to go get that axe or go get that sword or whatever. I I love how much inventory stuff, like the cooking in Breath of the Wild, is amazing. Like I like all that stuff. But the weapon and shield breaking thing is so annoying, especially when you're in a big thing of combat. Sure. It's like, oh, this sword I was using, ah, fuck, now I got to go to the menu. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, anytime a game just takes you into the menu, it's annoying. Yeah, it really is. Let's All see. right. You go with your next one. I've got three more. Okay, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight more. Fantastic. So we'll, do, uh, we'll do two to one again. Good deal. Uh, anything that ends with, it was all a dream. I was thinking about this the other day. <laughs> this just applies to every type of storytelling. Yeah, really. This not just applies just, to fiction. Yeah, just not video games, but any type of fiction you want. These are so, like, root one, low bar type ways of telling a story. Now, granted, I don't think this is exactly what this game is, but there's a game I played recently. I won't spoil, but you probably know what it is just because I'm talking about it. A game I played recently that does this kind of thing, and it's just the 17th cheesy thing that they do, but... 
uh, I, you know, you and I both like red letter media. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they talk about movies a lot, they will they will talk about sort of the like college film school student yeah. where they think they're making something so subversive and it's like, oh, it was all a dream. It's like, yeah, that's what everybody does in this situation. It's the worst way to get out of something you've created. Like, it, it feels like a get out of jail free card. It does. Where, oh, wait, this this character died or, you know, this weird thing happened or now suddenly it, there's a big tonal shift and at the end the person just wakes up and it's like, well, that was worth nothing. You gave me nothing of substance to chew on and instead it's just like all right it was all a dream whatever i'll give this this you know method of storytelling a slight amount of credit only if they leave it with some level of clever uncertainty sure oh yeah yeah um it totally depends on the story but but when they in general like you know wizard of oz and she's just like oh back in kansas like (laughs) clearly like you know that sort of thing however And, you know, to cite one of my favorite movies that you and our beloved Andrew, you know, turned me on to, and you probably never should have, because it's only debatable if it's made my life better or not, is American Psycho. Which, if you've ever seen American Psycho, the end is very ambiguous as to were all the preceding events happening in the protagonist's head or not. Yeah. Because he's obviously, like, a lunatic. Right. Um, uh, Inception, another good example. Inception was, yeah. Uh, Where they leave some level of... You know, debate for the viewer. Whereas, right. oh, did this actually happen? Can I come up with a theory as to like how all these yeah. dots connect? Whether it would be go one way or another. Sure, that's fun. Yes, but Donnie, when you make it so blatant, uh, Donnie Darko, another one I just watched recently, does kind of I've a never seen thing. that, but it's it looks good. Literally, so weird. <laughs> it is. It's odd. I was actually expecting it to be weirder. Mm. Uh, it doesn't get odd until like the second half, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, I get why people love that movie so much. It doesn't. I don't think it plays as like earth shatteringly in 2021 sure. as it did in when it, 2001 or whenever it came out. Um, random movie aside, but you can do it well as long as there is some sense of ambiguity. But that's like you know to re- to you know slyly reference the game that I think you were referencing earlier. Yeah, that game probably would have played a lot better ten years ago. You know, oh, sure, just because of the subversiveness for sure. Yeah, of it. Um, but yeah, just don't just don't do that. My yeah. next one. Uh, point of no return moments. Uh, this happens okay. in games a lot where okay. in the last, you're in the third act, you're pretty far into it, and then the menu comes up being like, you can't go back, are you sure? And it's, I get why they do that. That obviously lends towards some sort of ending that's pretty uh, sort of ominous, but I think the reason it bothers me is when it happens in games that you can go back into. <laughs> well, yeah. That's... Like, that's so annoying. It's like, all right, okay, maybe I can't go grab these two or three side quests that I could have before. That's just annoying. If you're going to let me go back into a world, then let me go back into a world fully. I don't mind this in, like, a uh, Bioshock or Last of Us type game where, you know, it's kind of you're moving forward the entire time. And then they're like, all right. You're, this is, you know, this is it, whatever. But again, Breath of the Wild is one of these things where I don't know if it specifically says point of no return, but it's like you are going to Ganon's castle or whatever. Like, I want to be able to go back and do all these side quests that I left open. It just feels like it puts a level of certainty on everything that sure. I don't love. Yeah, I think it's in, you know, occasionally necessary. Uh, but sure. I can think, and I've, I remember correctly, and it's been a while, and even though I just said I started replaying it, haven't gotten to the end of Horizon, obviously, in mm. several years. Yeah. But if I recall correctly, 
the end sequence of Horizon, because it has one of these moments, like, yeah. better go upgrade your weapons, better go do all this right. before you jump into this mission. That mission takes, like, four hours. Yeah, it's long. I remember that. And it's like, if you're just going to, like, you know you're going to literally walk through this door and fight the final boss, yeah, you should go upgrade your weapons, blah, blah, blah. But put that, you know, disclaimer there and don't have three hours of sort of random build-up to that. Right. Because not only was the ending, you know, at least encounter with an enemy in Horizon very disappointing, Mm -hmm. it just dragged on. Yeah. Like for so long. Yeah. And I want to say that it was one of those games where, like, well, you can still do some minor upgrading here and there once <laughs> right. you've crossed this threshold. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the event horizon of a black hole. Like, it's, <laughs> you know. I just think it's funny to think of, you know, because games, obviously, we both love them as a form of art and a form of storytelling, but they, they are lacking just a little bit of storytelling, uh, sort of just skill, I guess with these moments where there's never a moment in a book where you get to a chapter it's like this book's ending yeah, yeah. you sure <laughs> like a movie scene that pops up is like dude we only got 15 minutes left huh. this is a really weird you know sidebar yeah are books the most obviously spoilable thing because like well I'm clearly <laughs> on the last 10 pages I can literally feel it with my hands that's true yeah I guess uh, so that's a good point whereas if you don't know how long a movie or a game is like you can they could always introduce some new twist or something that extends it right um, but I agree with you because there are some games where like you're walking up I'm going to use Sekiro as an example. I'm not going to tell you the spoiler of the sure, final sure, boss, sure. but you're like, oh, this is the final yeah, boss. And I think like, that's, I you think, know inherently. Exactly. I think that's my problem. I think I have a problem in most forms of media when the media assumes the player is stupid. Yeah. And even if it's not intentional, these moments can feel that way where it's like, you can obviously tell when you're playing a story for 10 hours or 20 hours, or whatever, you kind of get how the vibe is going. For sure. And once you get to a point of a quote unquote point of no return, you're probably aware of it. Like you don't have to explicitly tell me, Hey, we're getting toward the end. Like I know. Yeah. All right. My next one, uh, this one's short, but I think it's kind of funny. Okay. And it's just calling zombies, something other than zombies. <laughs> Fair They're enough. zombies. Yeah. And, there are clever ways around this. I, you know, we sing the praises of it enough, but The Last of Us, Cordyceps, and it's the infected, and then there are different types of infected. Whereas, like, you know, and they explain to us how, like, these people are still alive, right? It's fundamentally different than a zombie, right? Enough that they, they can get away with it, at least conscious for the first portion of their infection, right? Um, and they never just, die in the process, yeah. And then just the concept of clickers being this so unique twist on like the zombie trope yeah that you know it completely redefines the you know mechanics of a game like this yeah but then you know i've never played days gone Mm. but just be like okay these are i can look at you and tell you and i don't care if they're just infected but like i don't know if they make a big deal out all these people are still conscious or not i don't know yeah but why do you call them freakers That's a terrible name name. i mean it's the walking dead walkers right that was going to be my other example is like they're zombies yeah it's You're a, telling me that nowhere in the 2000... Exactly. You know, however many years of, you know, co- like civilization that they pre-established that, oh, if a thing comes back to life, that's a zombie. <laughs> yeah. Like, we have seen enough, like, obviously zombie settings either take place in modern time or future times. We, right now, will only call them zombies yeah. because of all the media that's called them zombies. Why wouldn't these characters call them zombies? Yeah, for sure. It just It's just an annoying... 
and it just comes across as like oh the developer on their end or again this sort of applies to any fiction sure I was like, oh, we need to differentiate ourselves mm. by calling them something different. Yeah. Even if they're fundamentally not different in any way. Right. Um, and The Walking Dead, like, is a phenomenon. And, yeah, you can argue, oh, it's slow zombies versus fast zombies. I'm like, zombies are zombies. Yeah. The type of zombie that your world is in, that's your own choice. Go what, do whatever you want. Yeah. But call them zombies. Yeah. And be creative around that term. Don't sure. feel the need to inject it into calling everything something different. Right. Totally agree. Uh, these are two very specific to video game things. Uh, pop-ups, and these are short, pop-ups that happen at the opening of a game. So whenever I launch a game, 2K is an offender of this. <laughs> Rocket League does this sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Overwatch, a lot of the sort of you know microtransactions. So it's like, news for the week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, we got a patch. It's like, cool. Yeah. You, I already knew because I downloaded it. You don't have to tell me that. Those are just so annoying, and I, I hate... like. I think I would be more likely to read whatever their news thing is if there's just a tab that says news and has a little yeah. red circle by it wow. rather than it just accosts me as soon as I open the game because I'm just going to be clicking X. And that's like, I'm just gonna it's be not clicking too through. egregious if they're like if there's one occasionally sure. some kind of big thing. Some event. Like, yeah. Oh, like event, news, <laughs> update. Like if there's like two or three X's, I'm just like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I just For sure. Uh, the next one, bad maps... Specifically, uh, maps without any ways of filtering. Oh. So this is mostly in open world games, but there are some games where you know you have this, is a good, yeah, like this icon means a tower, this icon means a chest, this icon, whatever. If your map does not have a way for me to filter through those, especially in an open world game where they're so saturated, I'm just looking at a bazillion circles on a map, it gets so overwhelming. Like, I just, I want a way to filter them. I saw, I think it was from... And it was a screenshot from, I think it was Assassin's Creed Unity. Okay. Where it was like, Paris is the setting. Yeah. And someone just screenshotted the map. And there were like 400 icons. <laughs> like, it was ridiculous. Yeah, it gets overwhelming. And so, uh, you know, there have been games that have done this well, where you can tab through and see either, uh, you know, which type of thing you're searching for. Maybe in your region you can zoom in and then go specific. Like, just let me specify what I'm looking for on a map as opposed to just showing me everything. Because at some point... You show me so much that I actually see nothing. Yeah. And I just see icons all over the place. So my next one. Yeah. Ridiculous numbers of the same collectible. Mmm. Now. Good one. I get that it, you know, would be laborious to, if there's 200 collectibles in your game. Yeah. To come up with like 200 or 20 sets of 10, you know, and make them all different and feel unique. Yeah. You know, good on you for the developers that do that. Like, if you really diversify them, that's great. Yeah. Um, and I feel bad for criticizing my beloved Spider-Man mm. because I do think the backpacks in Spider-Man are one of the most unique, informative, cool lore-building collectibles yeah. in a long time. But there are 150 backpacks. <laughs> yeah. Like Peter, this costs you like over a thousand dollars in backpacks. I never thought about like, that. That's funny. Figure out another way to carry your shit. <laughs> like, because everything you find in the backpacks is cool. And I'm like, there are so many backpacks that it's genuinely immersion breaking. Yeah, that's a good point. And there's a lot of games where like, and you know, you especially, you know, I respect, you know, world building storytelling. Mm -hmm. You are like, that's something you cling to in games. Yes. But if there's like 200 audio logs in a game. It's it, a lot. It like. It takes me out of it in a weird way. Oh, because yeah. I'm not the type that's going to hunt down all of them, usually, unless right. it's like a platinum that I'm really obsessive about getting. Sure. And on the on the flip side, like, 
I prefer, I mean, the backpack number is egregious. That's a really funny point. But collectibles without any sort of lore implication kind of suck. Yeah, that too. Where it's just like, oh, here's a action figure. You found 10 action figures. Good job. Yeah. It's like, why am I looking for them? Because like with Spider-Man and, you know, we were talking about our favorite food YouTubers before this. Yeah, we went out to Binging with Babish. Hell yeah. Because he did one of the collectibles that you find in Spider-Man, which is oh, like... Oh, it's a recipe, right? And there's two of them. Mm. There's like, oh, here's Aunt May's like famous wheat cake recipe. It's awesome. Here's the recipe for like dumplings that I made with Mary Jane like on our first date. Like that's really awesome it's storytelling. So and, you know... And I'll accept it because of, you know, the really awesome execution of each individual backpack. Yeah. I'm just like, there's so many damn backpacks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do do something else. And I think with Miles Morales, they did diversify a little bit. Like, there was, like, the the sound-based ones. That was cool. That was really cool. Uh, and it's inherently a smaller game. Sure. You know, it's tough Good to point. fill Good point. a pretty much, you know, real-life-sized New York City yeah. with, you know, a limited number of interesting collectibles. You're like, you kind of have to put a bunch of stuff everywhere. Sure. So I get it. Yeah. But, you know, you could flex your creative muscles a little bit and reskin them as something else. It bothers me, too, going back to collectibles that don't have a have a lore implication, because I imagine I'm not a writer. I imagine that would be really fun. Like, coming yeah. up with the... Like okay. You're in charge of this. Yeah, you get to do all of the little touches of storytelling. Like, you get to be the one who decides, you know what? Maybe Peter saved the recipe for Aunt May. Like, that's so fun. And I'm pretty sure they have voice... Like, I forget the guy's name uh, who did the voice. Yuri Lowenthal? Yuri, yeah. Like, he has, like... He reads the descriptions. Yeah. And I'm like, and that he says, adds, like, some little note about that it. It adds so much character. Oh, it really does. Uh, and you could do a lot of things with that. Again, it's just a, a thousand, two thousand dollars worth of backpacks. Really dumb. <laughs> Maybe bought them in bulk. Uh, my next one, dialogue options that have no consequence. Mm. Uh, my beloved Fallout yeah. is a, is a sometimes a victim of this. I Especially Fallout 4, I think, was when it was most egregious. But there, there are moments where... I'm going to actually kind of make this into two. Okay. One, dialogue options that don't have much consequence where if I pick one of four settings... It's basically like saying the same thing in four different ways. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, the other one is when dialogue options are not descriptive enough. Ooh. And for example, uh, I love Life is Strange One. There are times in Life is Strange One where A, it feels like there's no good option, and B, you pick an option, and then the character says something that is totally yeah. very different from what you picked. And you're I like, like wait, no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. Yep. Uh, especially in a game like Life is Strange, where dialogue's so important, and really the most of the gameplay is your dialogue choice. Um, but even in games like Fallout where it's, you know, uh, the, was it Mr. Hansy? Is that the name of the bot? Mr. Hansy comes over to you and is like, Hey, what do you want to, uh, where do you want to go next? And it's like, Oh, the mountains, the house, whatever. And whatever you pick, he's like, what about if we go over here instead? It's like, well, why did you make me pick? <laughs> like, I hate stuff like that. Yeah. And it can come, it, it kind of varies from scale of, you know, little things to, to big things, but Make sure if you're going to have dialogue options, which I think is a fad that games have kind of gotten over. But if you're going to have dialogue options, make them monumental and make yeah. them matter. And that's the thing. I think dialogue options really only have a place in RPGs. Mm. Like, I've come to that conclusion because like people when Uncharted 4 to me is one of the weird like I am fine with the dialogue options that are in Uncharted 4. Yeah. It's a little interesting for character building, but it has no impact on the story or your character whatsoever. No, not at all. RPGs is like, oh, you can build your charm. You can build whatever these, you know, your interpersonal attributes right. are. Yeah. Uh, but in most games, they're just sort of ancillary, you know, nothingness. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. The, 
that's a funny point about like the option might be like I don't like you and then you click it and you're like I hate you I wish you would die and I'm like, Wait, I didn't want to go whoa, that whoa, far whoa, whoa, game. You, you misled me a little bit <laughs> let's see my last one and then okay. you can, we can just hit the rest of yours yeah I only have three more is just uncanny valley close up facial animations great call uh, shout out to horizon <laughs> that's the one like, I would have rather you not had dialogue between a lot of these characters at all yep. and you just gave me the options of like oh do you want to you know pursue this quest or not and here's a couple things you can say and then they just like an old school Zelda game just give me the text of what right. these people are saying Yeah. then show me them as like bodies stiff as a board and then yeah like eyebrows moving like up and down weirdly and then like yeah, <laughs> yeah like everything very... else they're not animating in any way but their face is super like weird um just yeah make the dialogue creative and take the animation out of it completely if you're not good enough to do that right and I mean in a game that huge I don't blame you for not yeah exactly you're gonna have thousands. not every character needs a talk you're gonna have thousands of these little interactions you don't need to make everyone like super close up on each person's face and try to like emote and everything like right the writing can sometimes stand well enough on its own sure oh I totally agree and like Another way you could do this is, you know, character is telling you, hey, you may want to go check out whatever. And then it shows you a cut of the map and the map zooms in and shows you the place you're going. Like there are creative ways to get around showing yeah. facial animations to, so much. But I think you and I are maybe two of the only people to really like hammer home how bad Horizon's facial animations yeah. are. Because I think the first time we saw the new one, we were like, oh, they fixed the faces a little bit. <laughs> that was one of the one of our first takeaways. Also, hang on, brief aside, the funny little gif of uh, L.A. Noir. Because the whole shtick of oh, that is yeah. like Detecting. you're interrogating people and like reading their faces, <laughs> and you know this is going to be purely for video listeners only. But it's it's like, oh, can you tell if this person's lying? And like tells you something. He's like, <laughs> like that gif is hilarious. It's funny like, too. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally telling the truth. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that guy uh, is the dad in Bill and Ted, and he's been in a couple other things. <laughs> But every time I see him, I'm just like, oh, it's the Bill and Ted dad. And then I laugh at that gift because it is very funny. Yeah, they that that L.A. Noir is interesting because the facial capture is legitimately good in that game, like way ahead of its time. But they overact yeah, in the facial capture yeah. to get you able to pick up on if they're telling the truth or not. It's so good. Uh, my last three excessive backtracking. This has been a known thing for a while, mm. but especially in like Metroidvanias, I think uh, it, anytime that you have to go back through something you've already done and you haven't changed it very much, that's going to bother me. It's It goes back to the repetition of earlier, right? Of like, I don't want to go do the same thing I just did yeah. 20 times. Uh, side quests that don't tell interesting stories. Yeah. I hate side quests that just exist because the game wanted to have side quests. Like, at least if you're... I would rather a game have no side quests than a side quest that doesn't tell me something interesting. I think... Like, Bioshock does this really well. Uh, there are a number of games who do side quests really well. But just don't do not do it if you're not going to tell me something cool or build the world a little bit or build the character a little mm -hmm. bit or something. For sure. And then lastly, a very small one, uh, ungageable death fall distances. Because <laughs> it depends on the game. Some games you fall two feet and you die. Yeah. And some games you can, call f you can fall like 300 feet and barely break a leg. Uh, so just give me some sort of metric to gauge that. I would almost just say fall damage in general. Yeah, I kind of thought about that. It's like because obviously fall damage is what I'm going to call realistic. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, a little bit. Mainly just because <laughs> it's always fun 
to fall from a huge height and then like superhero pose and like right. dust flies around you and then you're just you're ready to go like yeah not that i think the ghost of tsushima just because <laughs> i'm playing this it's the easy example like a human man cannot jump off a t- 500 foot cliff and survive right. you should not be able to jump off a skyscraper in gta 5 and live yeah but it should be pretty clear where those markations but the are. good trend or evolution is like from the old spider-man games where you could jump off the Empire State Building and then you would literally splat like a pancake and die <laughs> to the modern ones where it's like, oh, you superhero pose, you crack the concrete. Like, that's just cool and fun. Yeah, exactly. So, that was a fun topic. That was. It's it's always more fun to shit on people. <laughs> you know? Not that it's a good thing. What a take. But, and this is, this is what we're going to call constructive criticism. Because this is not, it's not like we're the first person to levy most of these complaints. No, no, not at all. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, oh, I'm, now I might be the first person to complain about people calling them freakers, but <laughs> I'm sure you're knows? not. That protagonist is named Deacon St. John. <laughs> they have a lot of problems. I love that so much, man. <laughs> Joel of- Miller versus Deacon St. <laughs> John. Perfection. It's so good. It shows you how much they were like. Sometimes not enough effort is the right amount of effort, you know? <laughs> yeah, really, especially when you're naming people. Tanner, do you have a recommendation for yeah, this week? a bit of a deep cut. I can't wait for my recommendation, by the oh, way, because I've already then. told you about it. Uh, sound Shapes. Hell yeah. I got thinking about Sound Shapes the other day, and I was like, you know what? I know that game is like a lauded trophy game, whatever. That's a fun game. Hell yeah, And I would be I would be super excited for like a Sound Shapes 2 or whatever. If you don't know what Sound Shapes is, uh, it's a platformer where you kind of go to the rhythm of music in different ways. So uh, the song will sort of spawn platforms or take away platforms or spawn collectibles or whatever, and you kind of have to adjust to the rhythm of the music. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are also, there's like a, a, each of the worlds is like a level pack by, with like a different sound. One of the level packs is by Beck. One of them is by Dead Mouse. Like there are legitimate artists in this. And I would love to see with the amount of just, explosion of exposure to artists and especially artists right now who grew up playing video games if they did another sound shapes like who they could pull in i think it could be really cool and i, I mean obviously i love music so uh yeah shout out to sound shapes i was just thinking about it in the shower the other day it's like, a really solid it's game. a good recommend so my recommendation is vicarious because mm-hmm. i did not make the recommendation uh in the course of my job I was having a conversation. Oh, right. With, <laughs> this is awesome. With a young woman. She's probably 13. Yeah. 13 or 14. <laughs> and we grow, uh, we live in rural Kentucky. Rural ish. Yeah. Uh, so obviously there are, you know, socioeconomic things that play into this. But it was the phrasing of her recommendation. So good. That really got me. Because she happened to ask me, Oh, do you play games? I say yes. We uh, talk a little bit. I think she asked, like, do you play Skyrim? Mm. And I was like, you know me. I was like, of course. I yeah. played it like five times. Yeah. Uh, and she's like, what do you play on? To which I respond, oh, well, right now I am playing on a PS5 most of the time. And her response to that was <laughs> basically PS5s are trash. Get a PS3. <laughs> they hold up better. Which was... I swear to God, one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. It's so like, good. The layers to that comment are amazing. Because it's like, I understand that like a PS3 might just be the thing that she has been exposed to, and that's sure. what they have. Yeah. And if all that she has said was, I play on PS3, that's fine. Yeah. But she said, PS5s are trash. <laughs> PS3s hold up better. 
You can make an argument that the PS3 holds up worse than, <laughs> than any, any console, console ever. <laughs> like, it's so good. Not only that, but the fact that she's talking about a PS5 as if it won't hold up. Exactly. And it's just some fad is amazing. And it's like, oh, it's the first one that's clearly and you know well incorporated backwards compatible with its right. previous console we're like the ps3 is like if you were trying to fit like a tesseract shaped <laughs> puzzle piece into a normal 2d puzzle it just doesn't work no it doesn't the cell processor was a bad idea it was my my only like thought about this is maybe the ps3 is to her what like i guess the ps2 or maybe like the you know SNES is to us where she's like oh man that catalog is so nostalgic and all that but you know or maybe she hasn't been able to get a PS4 or PS5 that's totally okay we're not we're not dunking on it for that like honestly I would give her my PS4 if it it would be good but like just the the thought that a PS5 is trash the PS3 holds up better is an amazing line I would like to assume that I mean it would be more fun if they absolutely could buy a PS5 there's like no <laughs> this looks bad like we got the fat ps3 it looks cool we're yeah. gonna stick with this we're gonna stick with the dual shot or the six axis oh god i forgot about like, the controller like that holds up well too like, yeah well Lordy. if uh if the ps5 is trash then give me the gorbin <laughs> very true and with that, with the gimme the garbage, <laughs> gimme the garbage, we're gonna call it for this week and go watch football. Happy spooky season to all of you out there. Hell we're yeah! Excited. And until we see you next, we're tapping out.